Well, can I please encourage you to have that part of the Bible open in front of you, Nehemiah chapter 1, page 485, as we come to look at it together now. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures, the Bible, and we thank you that you speak through the Bible, and we thank you that every word of it and every book of it has been breathed out by you for our good. And Father, we would pray that this morning and over the coming weeks, as we come to look at the book of Nehemiah, even though it's a, an obscure book and a, a strange book in some ways, we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us through it, that you'd change us through it, that you'd shape us through it, that you'd transform us through it. And Father, even now, as we look at this chapter, would you speak to us, we pray. That's what we long for. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, there are some people in the Bible, and my guess is that you'll know something about them. So Adam, you, you know something about Adam, don't you? He was married to Eve. He, he lived in the Garden of Eden. You know something about Adam. Uh, then you've maybe got Noah, and my guess is that you know that Noah built that great big boat, and the animals went on to it. You've got the likes of Moses, who crossed the Red Sea on dry land. You've got Joseph. He had a lovely coat, didn't he? And 12 jealous brothers. Then you've got Goliath, and you know that he was killed by David. Then you've got Judas, you know that he betrayed Jesus. But what about Nehemiah? What do you know about Nehemiah? My guess is that this morning, no matter how long you've been coming to church, there are some of you might know next to nothing about Nehemiah. And you're not alone, because lots of people really know very little about this man who is found in the Old Testament. Now, why do we not know much about him? I think it's because Nehemiah was not a Bible superstar. In the whole book of Nehemiah, there is not one miracle. Not one. In the whole book of Nehemiah, God does not speak to him in some miraculous way, not once. You see, Nehemiah is just a fairly ordinary man who gets on very quietly with the work that God has called him to do. He's not a Bible superstar, and so not many people know very much about him. But this morning, and over the next seven or eight weeks, that is going to change with you because over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this man, Nehemiah, and we're going to look at the book that he wrote that we found in the Old Testament. And as we look at this book, as we look at his life, we're going to see how God used this man. And my hope is that as we see how God used this ordinary, normal man, that it's going to encourage us as normal, ordinary people that God can use us for His purposes and for His kingdom. And this morning, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 1, my, my aim is very simple this morning. It's just to introduce you to the man himself. It's just to give you a flavor of who Nehemiah is. And to help you do that, I'm going to answer five questions this morning. And they're these five questions. Question number one, when did Nehemiah live? Question number two, where did he live? Question number three, what did he do? Question number four, where was he from originally? And question number five, which is the key to the rest of the book, what broke his heart? Because we're going to see this morning that there's something that broke his heart and transformed his life and made him very, very usable by God. So let's get some answers to your questions. First of all, when did Nehemiah live? Well, very simply, he lived sometime between 400 and 500 BC, about 400 years before Jesus lived 
Nehemiah lived. If you were going to read the Old Testament kind of as it comes in order from the beginning to the end, Nehemiah is the last person you would read about before you read about Jesus. He's the last main character of the Old Testament, and then there's 400 years of nothing, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. So he lives about 400 years before Jesus. Then we'll move on to question two. Where did he live? Well, you can get the answer to that question at the end of verse 1 in chapter 1. Have a look at the text there. You'll see there that he lived in a city called Susa. Just remember Susan, and you can remember where he lived. He lived in a city called Susa. And Susa, it was an important city in what was called the Persian Empire. Um, Queen Elizabeth, do you know where she takes her summer holidays? Where does she go? Do you know? She goes to Balmoral. Oh, someone got it. She goes to Balmoral in the summer, doesn't she? Uh, and if you're lucky and you're from here, you go to Malisle or you go to Port Rush. You know, you go there in the summer and you have a nice time. Well, well, Susa was the place that the king of Persia would go in the winter months. It got very cold in the winter in some areas of the Persian Empire. And so the king would go down to Susa and he'd spend the winter there and he'd sun himself and get a nice tan in the winter months. So Susa was a, an important city in the Persian Empire. And it was a beautiful city. It was a vibrant city. It was an affluent city. It was a, a cultural city. It was a fantastic city to live in. Like living in the center of London, just this metropolis of excitement and buzz and beauty. And Nehemiah, he lived in this city called Susa in the Persian Empire. And what did he do? What was his job? Well, that was the reason he lived in that city. Because Susa worked, or because Nehemiah worked for the Persian government. Nehemiah was a civil servant. And we all know civil servants, don't we? Well, well, Nehemiah was one of them. He worked for the Persian government. And if you have a look down at verse 11, you'll see his exact, exact job title. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. That was an important job. What that meant was that anything that the king drank, Nehemiah's job was to make sure that it wasn't laced with poison. So anytime there was a party, Nehemiah was at the party. Anytime the king was handed a drink, Nehemiah would inspect it and test it to make sure that it wasn't filled with poison. But it was a great job to have, a fantastic job to have. He, he, he had access to the king of the Persian Empire. And every royal party, Nehemiah got to go. It was a great job. He was in a high up position. He was known and trusted by the king, and he clocked in and out of work every day at the royal palace. What a lovely, lovely job. Do you see Nehemiah's situation here in chapter one? He lives in a beautiful city. He's got a wonderful job. It would have paid very well. He clocks in and out to work to the royal palace. He's access to the king. Life is good. Life is comfortable. Life is ideal for him here in chapter 1. But for Nehemiah, Susa wasn't home. Susa wasn't where his family were from. Susa wasn't his kind of place where he felt like was home for him. Which takes us to question number three, four. Where was he from? Uh, you know that uh, last week, well, the week before I was in America... Well, I was out one night with a few friends from my course, and we were having a conversation when, when a young American man heard me speaking, and he says, hey, are you from Ireland? 
Now, I didn't think that was the time to explain the difference between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So, you know, being from the island, I said, yes, yes, I am. And he said, I'm Irish too. I said, really? You're Irish? He says, yeah. He says, my great, 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 great grandmother was from Ireland. I said, all right, whereabouts? Somewhere near Dublin. <laughs> oh, great. So here was this guy, and it was just ironic. He was wearing you know, a nice green T-shirt. He, he looked a bit Irish. He had a bit of red hair in him. But, but it's interesting, isn't it? Here's this young man who's been born in America. He's got an American accent. He's lived there all his life. You know, his, his grandmother lived there, but, but back down the line, you know, his roots were in Ireland, and he identifies as being Irish. Well, that's exactly the same for Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah's family were from the kingdom of Judah. They were from the place which had its capital as Jerusalem. He was one of God's people, and he was from God's people. And that's how he identified himself. Yes, he lived in the Persian Empire. Yes, he worked for the Persian government. Yes, he lived in the city of Susa. But if you ask Nehemiah where he was from, he would say, I am from Judah. I am a Jew. I am one of God's people. I don't worship these pagan gods that the Persians worship. I don't agree with everything the Persians are doing. I am not Persian. I'm from the kingdom of Judah. I'm one of God's people. And that's how he would have identified himself. He was one of God's people. And maybe you're wondering, well, how did he end up in Persia? If he's from the kingdom of Judah, which is hundreds of miles away, how did he end up in Persia? You know, that young man I met in America, my guess is, I don't know the details, but my guess is his ancestors probably left Ireland when the potato famine came. My guess is they left when disaster hit and, and they left for, for new days in America. But how did, how did Nehemiah's family end up in Persia? Well, you can read about that in the book of Jeremiah. And what happened was this, is that God's people, they lived in the land. And they lived in the land of Judea. And what they were meant to do was they were meant to be God's people. They were meant to live His way. They were meant to be a light to the nation, showing everyone how wonderful God was and how wonderful it was to be His people. But they actually rejected God. And they rebelled against God. And they started worshiping idols. And they started not living God's way. And God, He, he pleaded with them. He said, return to me. Come back to me. Love me again. I, I love you so much. And, and come back and love me and follow me. I've, I've got good plans for you. I want to bless you. Live for me, will you? That's what Jeremiah says the whole way through his book. But the people were stubborn. No, God. We're living our way. No, God. We're going our own way. We, we don't want you. And then God warned them. He got to the end of his period of patience and he said to them, if you don't return to me, if you don't come back to me, I'm going to send the Babylonians in and they're going to take you from this land I've given you. If you don't come back to me, I'm going to take you out of this land that I've given you. And they're so hard-hearted 
And they're so stubborn, even though they know God loves them and has good things for them and wants the best for them, they, they don't turn back to God. And so we read in Jeremiah 39 that what God said would happen did. The Babylonians came, and this is what it says. The Babylonians set fire to the royal palace and the houses of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, carried into exile to Babylon the people who remained in the city along with those who had gone over to him and the rest of the people. Nehemiah's ancestors had had their land destroyed by the Babylonians and they'd been taken into captivity in Babylon. But Marty, you said that Nehemiah was in the Persian Empire, and, and you've just talked about the Babylonians. Well, yes, that's right. But you see, 70 years after the Babylonians had taken them away, the Persians came and the Persians beat the Babylonians. They, they took over the Babylonian Empire, and they were now the bosses of the world. And so Nehemiah, that's how he's ended up being in the Persian Empire. His ancestors were taken from Jerusalem, taken from the kingdom of Judah, taken into Babylon, into captivity, and then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. Now, I don't want to say the Persians were kind, because they weren't. But what was really interesting is that whenever the Persians came into power, they did give people a chance to go home. And about 70 years or more before Nehemiah chapter 1, the Persians came into power and they said, listen, guys, if you want to go back to Judea, you can. If you want to go home, you can go home. And so they did. Many of God's people, they went back to Jerusalem. They went back home. And their plan was to rebuild the city and their plan was to follow God. Or at least that's what everyone thought when they left. But Nehemiah didn't go. Nehemiah stayed. He did a lovely job, a lovely life. He stayed where he was. But a lot of God's people, they went back home to rebuild the land that had been destroyed. That's the history of it, okay? That's the background. That's the historical context we're looking at. That's a little bit about Nehemiah. But the next question is this. What broke Nehemiah's heart? What was it that broke his heart? You see, everything was going well for Nehemiah. Nice job, nice life. His people have gone back home. He has these dreams about them rebuilding the city and how everything in Jerusalem must be. It must be wonderful. They must be living for God again. It must be brilliant back home. And he's this lovely idea of what it's like for the people who've gone back home. But then he gets a visit from his brother. His brother comes and visits him in the city of Susa. And it's actually what happens when his brother comes that breaks his heart. Have a look at verse 2. Nehemiah says in verse 2 that while he was sitting in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. So he gets a visit from his brother. They've come to see him in Persia. And these are guys who've gone back to rebuild the city, okay? They've come to Persia to visit Nehemiah. And when they get there, Nehemiah asks them about two things. He asks them how the people are getting on, and he asks them how the building of the city is going. So look at verse 2. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Hey, bro, how are the people getting on? How are they doing? I'm sure it's wonderful. You can imagine what Nehemiah is thinking. He has this vision of what the people are living like. 
They're enjoying God, he probably thinks in his mind. They're living God's way and enjoying the blessing of that, he's thinking in his mind. And as for the city, oh, it's, it's probably in his mind more beautiful than Susa. In his mind, the city's going to be built up with beautiful walls and a great temple. It's going to be wonderful. That's what he has in his mind. But that wasn't the answer he received. Take a look at verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile, that's those who've gone back, are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah, things are not good back home. They're not good back in Jerusalem. The, the people haven't returned to God. They're living in disgrace. They're rejecting Him just like our ancestors did. And the walls of the city, it's, well, they've not even been built. They lie in ruins. The, the gates that are meant to protect us, they've been burned. Nehemiah, the, the city is a mess and, and, and people's relationships with God are a mess. It's terrible, brother. It's terrible. It's terrible. And this news, this news breaks Nehemiah's heart. Look with me at verse 4. Look at how he responds when he hears this. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. When was the last time we did that? It takes something absolutely devastating, doesn't it, to bring us to the point of weeping, to bring us to the point of mourning, to bring us to the point of praying diligently. It takes something absolutely devastating to bring us to the place that Nehemiah is at. And that just shows you the depth of his devastation. He's, he's destroyed by the news he hears. He's devastated by it. He's devastated that God's people have not returned to God. He's devastated that they're not enjoying God and His blessings and living His way. He's devastated that although they've returned to the land, they've not returned to Him. It's devastated Him. It's broken His heart. God loves His people, but Nehemiah finds out that His people don't love God. God's brought them back to the land. He's brought them back to their home but they're still rejecting him and turning from him. And it breaks Nehemiah's heart. Folks, I wonder, are any of you in the position of those exiles this morning? I wonder, are any of you far from God this morning? I wonder, are any of you keeping him at arm's length? You know he loves you. You know he cares about you. You know he wants to bless you. You know that if you live his way, it's going to be good for you and for your life and for your family and for everything. And yet you, you won't return to him. You, you reject him. You, you push him away. 
I wonder, are any of you in that boat this morning, rebelling against Him, even though He, he loves you and He wants you to live for Him? I wonder, are any of you in that boat? Do you think you're going to be happy away from God? Do you think you're going to be happier away from Him than with Him? Do you think life is going to be better without Him than with Him? Because that's just not the case. It breaks Nehemiah's heart that God's people are far from God. And this morning, if that's you, what I want you to recognize is that also breaks the Lord's heart. Because there was someone else who wept over Jerusalem. There was someone else who wept over God's people who rejected God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 19, he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to die on the cross there. And as he comes to a point where he can see the city, we're told in Luke chapter 19 that he wept over it. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, you, even you, if you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over people who rejected him. And this morning, it's breaking his heart if you're rejecting him this morning. He loves you. He's got peace for you. He's got blessings for you. He's got fullness of life to give. And as he sees you rejecting him, he weeps over that. He weeps over that. Folks, can I invite you this morning as we come to take the Lord's Supper together that if you're far from God, that you come close to Him again? That if you're rejecting God, that you accept Him again? That if you're choosing to, to push God away this morning, that you open up your arms and ask Him to come close again? You see, you're invited to do that this morning because as the, the bread and wine tell us, Christ died so that could happen. Christ died so that we could be brought into communion, brought into relationship with God again. It broke Nehemiah's heart that people were far from him. And it breaks the Lord Jesus' heart this morning if you're far from him. But this morning you're invited to return to him, to come back to him. The second thing, though, that we see that, that Nehemiah has also broken over is broken walls. He, he's devastated that the wall of Jerusalem is still in ruins. He's devastated that the city, Jerusalem, has not been built up again. Now, please don't think that the people who went back were just lazy. They, they weren't lazy. And the people went back, and they tried to rebuild the city. But then some people said that this was a bad thing. Some of their enemies, and they reported it to King Artaxerxes, who, who Nehemiah worked for, and Artaxerxes put a stop to it. So they weren't allowed to build anymore. But the broken city broke Nehemiah's heart. And maybe you're thinking, Marty, why is he crying over broken walls? I mean, really? Why is he crying over, I don't know, a, a devastated city? Why, why is he crying over that? The reason he's crying over it is because Jerusalem was always connected with God's honor. God had said that his temple would be there. God had said that his name would dwell there. If you were a nation looking at Jerusalem, that was meant to be the city where their God lived. That was meant to be the city that was meant to point people to God. 
And so when Nehemiah sees the broken walls or hears of the broken walls, he thinks, what must people think of God? What must people think of God? They must think he's helpless to build his own city. He was concerned for God's honor. And folks, I think that's the same with the church. The church belongs to God, doesn't it? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. And what I think is that a broken church, and I don't mean dilapidated buildings, I mean a broken church, a a church which dies, a church which falls apart, a church which is in division, a church which is not honoring to God, I think it dishonors Him. A broken church dishonors God. Folks, as you know, we've three and a half years at Ravenhill to to try to, to turn things around. And it's only God that can do that. But folks, the reason why we should be so concerned that this church survives is not so that the name of Ravenhill Presbyterian will stick around for a longer time. It's not even to preserve the history of the place, even though there's great history here. The reason we should be concerned to to keep this place open and alive and to see new life here is for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we close, what does it say to our community? If we close, what does it say about Jesus? What does it say? Nehemiah, he, he was heartbroken that people's relationship with God was broken. And he was heartbroken that the walls of Jerusalem were broken. And this morning as I finish, what what I want to do is I want to ask you to ask God to do something in your life. As I finish, I want to ask you to ask God to break your heart for these things too. There are so many people, thousands of them in this area, and even people within our church family, whose relationship with God is broken. They're not enjoying God. They're not enjoying His blessing. They're not enjoying being one of His family. They they don't know Him. And my guess is that many of us, we don't really care that much. We don't really care a whole lot. Yeah, we're we're sort of concerned, but we're not heartbroken by it. But folks, if we're going to reach people, if we're going to encourage people to live for God, if we're going to really ask people to come to Him and and we're going to really invest in people and, and spread the gospel, we need to have broken hearts for the lost. So this morning, I want to ask you that that you'd ask God to break your heart for people who don't know Him and break your heart for people who are not right with Him. And the second thing I want to ask you to ask God to break your heart for is this church. Break your heart for Ravenhill. Ask Him to break your heart for this congregation. Ask Him to break your heart for our witness and for this church. Because, folks, it's only when our hearts are truly broken for these things, that we'll do everything we can to mend them. And that's what we're going to see next week. We're going to see that comfortable Nehemiah in his lovely job in Susa with the Persian Empire, in his lovely job after God broke his heart, things were different. He took action and he prayed and he did something about these things. But this morning, ask God to break your heart for the lost and ask God to break your heart for this church and for our witness and for the future.
Let's pray, and then we're going to stand together and sing, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Father, you know that so often we wander from you. So often we get sidetracked by other things and find ourselves distant from you. And yet, Lord, your longing is for us to come back to you and to enjoy you and to know you. Father, I pray for each of us here this morning that we would recognize that your invitation is open to us all to know you and enjoy you and have life with you. And Father, as we come to take communion, may we recognize that Jesus has done everything needed for us to return. Father, as we come to your table in a moment or two, help us to delight in Christ. Help us to delight in the forgiveness that could be ours. And help us to delight that this morning we're called to come back to you and enjoy you again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.